Warning, the content of the show is left-leaning and offers radical ideas, plus challenging the status quo. Accordingly, we ask you to remain calm and have an open mind. If not, there are other podcast shows that can speak to your conformity. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to this episode of Firebrand. I'm your host, AJ. Um, thank you for subscribing to this and the many other episodes that we're going to be having here on Firebrand on this podcast network. On um, today's episode, uh, I, there's been a lot of things I've been thinking about, and it's, it's mostly been centered around this election cycle and everything, um, not just the presidential race that's happening, but various state races that are going on, a few of the local races are going on, and just observing once again that we have many, many candidates who have messages that, in my view, don't have any real meaning behind them. They're great. Talking points, they are great um, pulses to what is going on in our society at this point. But there's nothing there. There's really nothing there. And you're talking about people who are running for a particular office, whether it's at the local, state, or national level that are running for that office in a soulless system. The system as we know it is soulless. It does not help the people at all. Um, the system is has no real meaning behind it. You have people in these hallowed halls that are crafting policies that are debating they are listening to interest groups and yeah they probably listen to us as well but it's a soulless system and I can't stress that enough and by soulless I, I really mean soulless that there's there's nothing there's no heartbeat at a state capital in DC your city hall, wherever, there's no pulse. The only pulse that's there are the warm bodies that sit in the seats and have meetings. That's it. There's no real living organism in government at all. So what do we do? I mean, we have these things called elections. We have people running for office. We see all these things, and every time people listen to them, they get around a person. They try to draft a person to run in for, for a race. But that's it. And you still hear the same kind of sentiment. 
well, it's better than nothing. Uh, I align myself with this person over the other person. Uh, yeah, their message is great, but what else is there? And that's the other sad part. Especially when you are in a country and the frame of mind is our elections is binary. It is just Republican and just Democrat. There's no one else. And if you, if you think about, you know, getting behind a third party candidate or worse yet, you get behind someone who's in the Democratic or Republican Party and you focus your time and energy around that person. And in this case, it's Bernie Sanders and on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, it's you know, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Ben Carson, Ted Cruz. I mean, these are, this is what's going on right now. And even though some people think these are long shots, they still feel that it's just Republicans and Democrats. They're not going to get behind Green Party candidates, Socialist candidates, Libertarian candidates, Constitutionalist candidates, so forth and so forth. Because of the binary mentality that we have in the United States. And we need to stop that. We really need to break away from this binary mindset. Um, we have people losing faith in a system. We have governors and presidents as well as legislative bodies that are continuing a conduct that is putting states in a country in a position that we're going to probably see austerity at some point. We're going to see services not being offered. We're going to have educational systems not functioning the way they should and everything. And yet we, we still elect these people into offices and we have interest groups telling these candidates and career politicians what kind of policies they ought to be doing for their best interest and by interests, a financial interest. But we need a new kind of vision. A vision that is completely outside of the conventions that we know today when it comes to the campaigns as well as in the solace system in the United States in our and in our respective states. But when you're hearing this, you're probably asking, well, there's nothing to grasp onto. People are saying the same things, and I'm sure you're going to probably reiterate the same things everyone else is saying. I, no, there, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not, because there are things out there that people really need to coalesce around. And I really mean you really need to coalesce around these points that I'm going to 
I'll talk about here um, in a minute. Because these are the points that will make our areas more viable. These points will actually have a pulse in this living organism that's called the state. So let me begin with some of these points. Some of you may have heard of these points before. And if you haven't, you know, I would encourage you to kind of look these up as I go forward on this. So some of the things that we need to consider is this idea of people over profit and worker control. We need to look outside of the conventions of how we grow jobs and the economy. Uh, We have seen states invest more into the private sector and the market. As I mentioned earlier, we have interest groups bending elected officials' ears for their own financial gain. And we're also seeing government and private sectors building partnerships that puts the financial burden on us and in our communities. I mean, this furthers dishearten the working class overall. So we need to be breaking away from these conventional models of generating jobs in the economy. And how are we, how are we going to do that? Well, first we need to implement particip- participatory budgeting. Um, this is done by having people review, and in this case was come down to the state level. We need to have residents review the state budget, then draft what the budget they see in their eyes and how monies ought to be appropriated. And then that will go to um, the respective body at state government to review it so they can draft the kind of state budget that needs to happen. So rather than having a whole bunch of representatives and senators pretty much telling us how the budget ought to be, we need to tell the state that this is what the budget needs to happen because if you have a better perspective of what your area needs in terms of funding, that provides a much fuller picture than just one person or more that represents your area or who's a senator of your area and just telling them from their perspective, not speaking for the community, but speaking for themselves as well as speaking for the interest groups they also listen to. We also need to have public banking in our states. states. Unlike the, the current banking system, you know, the, those monies goes into the market and it's being gambled on futures, the commodities, the market in itself done and goes into the Federal Reserve and that money going through derivatives and that's what's happening. We need to move away from that and in public banking, all the tax dollars goes to a public bank in your state and then that money gets invested into public infrastructures and programs whether it be roads the educational system possibly um, state or community funded healthcare systems 
so forth and so forth. This actually produces more jobs, and public banks also have a lower interest rate than you do with regular banks and everything. You look at states like North Dakota that is the only state in the union that has an actual state bank. And I know people in North Dakota who have taken out loans, whether it is to advance their education, take a personal loan out, or to buy a home, and they actually withdraw an actual lower interest rate because of that and everything. So having public banking actually sustains the state, and North Dakota was the only state that didn't receive any federal funding because they were more in a net positives than a net negative, like most states are that we have. And another way, and I've said this on various outlets, that we need to look into cooperative business models, and particularly worker and consumer cooperatives. Uh, cooperatives have shown sustainability. Uh, workers actually control the workplace and the operations of the business. You look at states like Wisconsin, where there's many cooperatives there, and the cooperative sector as a whole alone has generated $650 billion, with a B, billion in revenue. Now you look at states like Wisconsin, and you look at states of Illinois to the south, and if you even take a fraction of the $650 billion revenue there, and you put that into Illinois, Illinois would have more of a profit. And you look at businesses that are working in states like Illinois, like New Era Windows, where it once was a private business, and then the workers bought the business, and now it's a worker-controlled business. And they make every decision as a collective. And I've seen this happen at New Era Windows. So... Participatory budgeting, public banking, and cooperative businesses. These are the things that we need to focus on because each of those things, it's about people over profit. And you look at the cooperative businesses where the workers have more of a control of the businesses. Um, Participatory budgeting is also worker control because the workers are actually telling the state on what kind of living wage they need to have also. So those three things of the idea of people over profit. We also need to have more community control in our respective areas. We need to make sure that people have that kind of control because it's very vital for our communities. And having that concern for a community and instilling like grassroots democracy provides more meaning in a solar system. Achieving this would be that individuals need to respect diversity in their communities, making sure our neighbors are safe, preserving and conserving local ecological systems 
we need to do this as well as allowing multiple political views being heard and participate in a democratic election process. Government cannot build a state. Only communities can build a state. And taking control of our communities is essentially needed. And in order to build that kind of future we want, we need to look at models such as people movement assemblies where people can convene in their respective areas, address their concerns, devise plans on how to overcome them, and implement those plans. And then every quarter, trying to talk about you know how far you're coming along on those plans and reinforcing the good work that's happening in order to make sure that concern is growing less and less. So we need to look at those things. We have to be concerned for a community in our area as well as the communities next to us. Having concern makes us accountable for our actions. And that accountability forces us to be responsible to take care of our family, friends, and neighbors. Now, I mentioned about taking care of our ecosystems, um, which is the other aspect to have a more healthier state. Not just the fiscal, the social side, but we need to focus on the environmental side as well. Because an imbalance of this will create a lot of problems. Far too often we're seeing developers push for new residential and commercial areas. Which means the flora and the fauna and ecosystems are taking a huge, huge hit. And you look at places in the Midwest that a lot of cities are trying to expand. So they can attract people to come into those areas and everything. But that means you're minimizing the land that you're already on and you're actually forcing other species to actually change their own habits. But it's not just development as the sole reason for these ecological issues. We are also being so dependent on nuclear energy, fossil fuels. We're not even managing our landfills at the county level. There are some recycling programs that are being cut. We're not not even preserving or conserving our waterways, our wetlands, our prairie lands, our mountain ranges, our foothills. We're not doing any of that. Now, even though preservation and conservation is important, it's not just limited to that. We also need to look at how agriculture is being done because the agriculture business is very driven by the commodity market. And that commodity market dictates on how farmers have to live their life. And not only the farmers but also is dependent on what we do to grains, um, soy, cotton, tobacco, how animals get to be treated, so forth and so forth. 
And that's the kind of ecological harmony that we need to focus on because it's not just the natural environment. It's everything. It is everything, especially when it comes to agriculture. We need to not only help the other plants and animals and microorganisms that is around us, but we also have to make sure those who work in the environment <clears throat> is also being taken care of. So we need to have that balance of the environmental side as well as the social and the fiscal health <clears throat> in our areas. Now, a, a lot of people focus on education and training, and I'm one of those people too. We Education and training is very important. It's the one investment that we need to continually fund. And I'm not even just talking about pre-K through 12 and higher education. We need to look at other programs like Head Start. We need to look at community organizations that are providing educational programs in their respective areas. But we also need to have more democratic elected school boards across the states. We also need to control how we educate our youth and adults. And by doing this, we need to stand up to federal policies that are actually hindering the progress across our states. And we need to provide the necessary funding when it comes to free and reduced breakfast and lunch programs. And we also need to pay educators and staff, not just educators, but also the staff in our schoolhouses because they deserve that amount of money. And if anyone who knows an educator, it's not just having a, a planning out a curriculum and going to school, and then they do their work, and then they go to meetings, and then they're done. It's, it's more than just that. Educators really are part of a lab. I mean, the classroom is a lab. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that we have in our society that is still this laboratory for ideas to be exchanged in in still certain things that are being talked about but then having the student actually furthering that idea and when it comes to staff without a staff you won't have a schoolhouse and I'm talking about the librarians I'm talking about your food workers I'm talking about janitors I'm talking about people who maintain the building, so forth and so forth, because they're also part of the backbone of the schoolhouse. Now, when we come to higher education, we need to look at models that have shown success in different aspects 
of higher education, schools like the College of the Ozarks. Uh, they have a program where students work at the college. And I'm not talking about a student worker program. They offer various things around the school. It could be picking up trash, cutting, uh, ma- doing some maintenance outside, outside maintenance. They could be pre- prepping food in the cafeteria, working in residential housing, tutoring, whatever they can provide for their students. And then all that pays off their tuition, which leads to little or no student debt after graduation. And they actually have a week or two of work, and then all the students have an academic schedule, and then there's another week of work, and then there's another weeks of academic work. There's also institutions like Goddard and Prescott College and other schools like them who have implemented low-residency programs. We have too much high of a cost of going to college and universities. And it's great that for people who want to go to schools outside of their hometown. And it's great, but it costs too much to live on campus outside of the tuition, outside of books and so forth and so forth. So the idea of schools looking into low residency, low residency excuse me, for undergraduate as well as graduate programs is something to be considered. And there are schools that are implementing more and more of a low residency program. Uh, the School of the Art Institute in Chicago just implemented last year their only low-residency program in their MFA in writing program. So a lot of schools are doing this, and we need to have schools, we need to encourage those schools to do that when it comes to higher education. But with all that said, we also need to look at the other side of um, how we craft public policy and social policy. Because all the time in the soulless system called government, it's all about the numbers. It's all about the finances. It's all about growing jobs in the economy and everything but there's nothing there when it comes to the social issues which is the other balance that we need and our nation and in our states have faced many turbulent events when it comes to race ethnicity gender sexual orientation and other related social issues and I'm not going to list off what those events are, I'm sure by now you know what those events are. But let me say that those events have created current public policies, but those same policies are still not enough. We still have race issues 
in places like southern Illinois. We still have women not getting paid enough, unlike their male counterparts. We have rural communities that are not providing adequate resources for LGBT youth and adults. We still have Middle Easterners that are not being treated fairly when it comes to starting up their own business or buying a home. We need to have policies that has a social justice perspective. And we also need to talk about the equity side of things, the equity for women's rights, the equity for LGBTQ rights, the equity for racial and ethnic groups, people of color, communities of color. And we need to, again, reinforce the idea of respecting for diversity. A diverse community means a diverse ideas. And respecting diversity means that we are concerned for our community. Because if our neighbor, who happens to be Middle Eastern, at an all-white subdivision, and no one's talking to them, then, then the, you have to ask these questions. Is it because the subdivision is a quiet area, or they just don't want to mind those people? And that is in reflection to how we have the current public and social policy that we have in our states and in our nation. Above all what I just mentioned, we just need to be future focused. We have many elected officials that say that they're looking five, ten years down the road. But do they? This is not Meaning fiscally looking down the road. But this is also meaning looking at our communities and our ecology and the communities in our respective areas. Looking at municipalities that are hoping to take care of their people. We need to look at our rivers, lakes, wetlands, prairies that need to be replenished. We need to make sure everyone's being taken care of. We need to make sure our fiscal health is there. And these are the things that we need to do to get back on track. We cannot look towards a soulless system that doesn't put people first. We cannot continue to allow to have the same people controlling every aspect of our lives. So the question needs to be asked. Who is watching the watchmen? Who is watching the very people that 
is implementing the very policies that speaks only to interest groups and is not providing a real pulse in the soulless system. Who's watching them? Because at this point, ladies and gentlemen, we need to watch out for ourselves. We need to be the people doing the very things I just outlined. We need to implement social justice and equity, and we need to respect diversity. We need to implement a real concern for our community by controlling various aspects of our community through grassroots democracy. We need to look at outside of the conventional models when it comes to growing jobs and economy that's more about people over profit and that the workers have control of the workplace. We need to have harmony in our ecosystems. We need to invest education and training, but we need to be future-focused. So, thank you for listening to this episode here of Firebrand. Um, Hopefully you will subscribe to more episodes of Firebrand on this podcast network. I'm your host, AJ, and as I said, who's watching the Watchmen? Because, um, obviously, no one is watching out for them, so we need to watch out for ourselves.